Thank you. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Hebrews chapter 5, uh, verse 11 through 6, verse 3. Hebrews is a unique letter. It's not uh, like all the other epistles. It doesn't give an introduction of who wrote it, where it's going to. And most people believe it's a sermon letter or a letter that's written like a sermon. And it's a sermon, and uh, I'm more convinced of it as I study it because it's so highly structured. Last week we saw the chiastic uh, structure of the passage we looked at. And this week we see that uh, he's doing some exhortation. Sermons are not always just exegesis, explanations, illustration. There comes a time in every sermon where you're exhorted to do something. And this is a third exhortation that he's given us. He's exhorted us not to drift away, to make sure that we are anchored in Christ. He's exhorted us not to harden our hearts as we hear the Word of God. And now he's saying, I want you to grow up. I'm exhorting you to quit being immature. One of the preachers in town was out at the soccer game yesterday, and he said, what's your sermon on? And I said, my sermon on, grow up, you big babies. And he said, can I send some of my people over there? And uh, I said, no, you know, it's just for Presbyterians. Uh. But anyway, a lot of commentaries say this is uh, tongue-in-cheek, what's the harshness of this letter. And I could not disagree more. This is serious, dead serious stuff. And he is really giving them a kick in the seat of their pants to get them going because there's eternal life at stake in the very next paragraph. So this is really an exhortation from a loving pastor. Let's read Hebrews 5:11 through 6, 3. We have much to say about this. This is Melchizedek. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. No one lives on milk and still, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith of God and instructions about baptism and the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and the eternal life. And God permitting, we will do so. This is God's word to God's people. Let's pray. Grant us eyes to hear and eyes to see and ears to hear. Uh, beautiful things in your word, and we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. If you were like me, the dreaded words that you always hated to hear in school was, get out a sheet of paper. That meant you were about to have a pop test, right? And I just writing this, I started breaking out in a sweat, wondering if I had done my homework. If you were to take out a sheet of paper in most churches and ask them, just simple questions, it'd be amazed at how much we or they didn't know. Most evangelicals cannot name the Ten Commandments. I'm not talking about verbatim, memorized, but just name them in general. Most evangelicals don't know who wrote the four Gospels 
or who wrote Romans. Now, most people think that the verse, God helps them who help themselves in the Bible, although it's not. But what if we dug down a little deeper and asked you some more than just information? Where do you find passages that talk about the fruit of the Spirit versus the fruit of the flesh? Where you talk about mortifying sin? Where you talking about? Where do you find the qualifications for elders and deacons? Where do you find your pro-life position that you so firmly hold? Where do you find verses that relate to traditional marriage as we uphold in this culture that's going the wrong way? Where do you find the love chapter? And if we got a little bit more doctrinal than, than that, but very practical doctrine, uh, would we agree with this? Like majority of people agreed with this, Christians agreed with this, that God learns things. Now that's a scary thought. It's open theism. That God changes. That the Bible is full of myths and legends. That people are born innocent. That Jesus is the only way is not accurate. There are people who evangelicals, those aren't general surveys, those are surveys of people who profess to be Christians and answer certain questions. That was the problem in this church that the writer to Hebrews writes. The problem was he wanted to teach them more, but they were slow to learn. He didn't want to just teach them information, he wanted to teach them about Melchizedek being the great high priest that Jesus was modeled after, that maybe Jesus was a uh, the pre-incarnation of Jesus was Melchizedek, but he says they aren't able to to learn it because they're slow to learn or not willing to learn. So let's look at this under two headings. Let's look at a pastoral exhortation, and then let's look at simple principles of maturity or principles of encouragement. A pastoral exhortation. An exhortation is something we ought to do. Something that we're exhorted to do. It's kind of like an imperative. And the exhortation is that we ought to be willing to grow up and learn more. And he says he wants to teach them, but he finds it hard to teach them. And it's not that the subject matter is hard. Now, the subject matter is hard. You know, when you start talking about Melchizedek, you know, uh, not only is it hard to spell and hard to say, it's hard to understand. He came from eternity and he has no future, no past. And, you know, he's greater than Abraham and uh, gave him a tenth of all his wealth. And, and he wants to teach him something about Melchizedek and the high priest. And he says, I, I can't do it because not only is the subject hard, but you are dull. The New International, which is not one I would recommend. I mean, the New New International. I use the 1984, if you're wondering. But the, uh, the New New International translates this, you no longer are trying to understand. They are dull, lazy, slow, slothful is another way to interpret that word. He's saying it's not the preacher's fault, and it's not the Sunday school teacher's fault, and it's not the topic's fault. The problem lies within you. 
He says the problem is that you something has happened to you. You started good and you have begun to be slow to hear. You have changed. And the words are very important when you go through this passage to understand why he says these difficult things. He says we have to teach you this again. You know, you say, okay, I thought we learned this, but here we go again, you know. Uh, they have heard it over and over again. And he says you ought to be teachers. The ought is kind of a should-be word. A, a word that carries some morality to it, at least some ethics to it. There's a place that you ought to be. You ought to do. You, you ought to be beyond where you are intellectually, spiritually, information-wise in the Bible. And he says this, you're still babies. That you're still drinking milk and you haven't grown up to eat meat yet. And he's not disparaging of milk. Milk is great, you know. Milk does the body good. Isn't that what the commercial says, you know? And when you are first a Christian, you crave the pure milk of the Word. First Peter chapter 1, bleeding into chapter 2. And milk helps you grow up. But when you are an adult, you need to not be carrying around a bottle. And he says, you ought to be teachers by now. You ought to be drinking, not just milk, but eating meat. And he says, I shouldn't have to teach you the elementary things again. Now, the elementary things are really, the, the word there is arche in the Greek, and it means beginning. I shouldn't have to go back to the beginning with you. And some translators translate this, I shouldn't have to go back to the ABCs. Now, think about the ABCs. You know, when you get to kindergarten, I guess, I don't think I went to kindergarten. I miss that. But anyway, you start learning, you know, letters. And then you start learning those letters have sounds. And then you learn, you put those letters together in different sounds and you make words. And then you make words, you make sentences, and then you make paragraphs, and then you write papers, and then you write term papers, and then you write, oh man, I'm getting scared myself. But anyway, you know, ABCs, he's saying, I'm going to have to start and go over. I, I, I was in my office, I think 15 boxes of my books are in that room there, and 15 are in there. And I got this one book out, and it was... Uh, a Hebrew grammar book. And I thought, I wonder how much Hebrew grammar I know. Alphabet, Gimel, Dalet, Het. Oh, that's it, you know. That is it. Uh, Hodu L'Shem, you know. Uh, I I got to looking at that book and I said, if I was going to take Hebrew again, I'd have to do what this passage said. I'd have to start with the ABCs. I'd literally have to learn the alphabet again, what it sounded like, how to put the words together, how to put a prefix and suffix on. So what are the elementary things of the gospel that he says you ought to all know and we shouldn't have to talk about them again? That we're sinners. We're born sinners. We're born with a bent nature. And because we're sinners, we're sin. Because we sin, we have a debt that's uh, due to God. And the wages of sin is death, not only physical death, but spiritual death. 
But if we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we have forgiveness of our sins, the penalty's been paid, and we have the promise of eternal life. That's the ABCs of the gospel. And we don't have to lay them again and again and again. But he says, because of that, you don't know the teachings about righteousness. Now, when you think about the teachings, if you look at your Bible, those teachings of righteousness, righteousness really can have two different meanings there. And commentaries differ on which one he's talking about, although I think the choice seems to be pretty obvious to me. The first choice is it's talking about righteousness. How are we made righteous? How are you and how am I made righteous? We're made righteous by faith. That we believe that Jesus was completely sinless and when we believe in Him, repent of our sins, believe in Him, God clothes us with the righteousness of Christ. And we're legally righteous. And they say that's what it means. That's true. All of that's true. But I think what He means is righteous living. How to live a right life. How to be sanctified. How to be holy. How to put sin to death. And the reason I say that, it says they train themselves. Look at that. It says, but the solid food is for the mature who constantly use, by constant use, have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. When you're talking about righteousness being trained by studying it and knowing good from evil, that's a different kind of righteousness than Forensic righteousness is ours by Christ. It's practical righteousness. And it says it's learned by constant training. We have all done some work probably or know about Habitat for Humanity. One of the things about Habitat for Humanity is you have to put in some sweat equity. You have to do some of the building yourself. You know, you just don't get a free house. You know, you have to go and put in so many hours. In order to train yourselves in righteousness, you have to do some sweat equity. You have to do some work yourself. You have to take what's given here and go deeper and go higher up and further in. But what they had done is they had decided that I had done enough. I know enough. And I know the basics, and so I'm going to be satisfied with that. But that immaturity and that reluctance and apathy to learn anything else endangered their soul. Because in the next paragraph, we'll see next week, he talks about people who leave the faith, that people who leave Jesus, leave knowingly what the gospel is. There's no turning back for them. And these Jewish Christians were thinking about leaving the church and leaving Jesus. And he's basically saying, part of the reason you're being tempted is that you don't know your doctrine. You don't know that Jesus is the only way. You don't understand without Him you have no hope. You won't be righteous. Your sins won't be paid for. So he exhorts them to grow up. Quit being big babies. And so now he gives them some principles of encouragement. Therefore, he says, you know, therefore let's leave the elementary teachings about Christ. Now that is shocking 
they're slow, this stuff's hard to teach, so I'm going to skip it. No, that's not what he says. He says, we're going to press on. We're We're going to go ahead. You know, it's hard to teach people that don't want to learn. I majored in education. I got a, a Bachelor of Science degree in education. It was an act of faith in case I didn't turn out as a preacher. I'd have some way to make a living. And uh, But I learned during student teaching I wasn't called to be a teacher. Man, that's hard stuff. I remember giving a test and mostly everybody failed. I go, well, I need to do something a little different. So the next time I reviewed, I I, I typed out the test. And then the day before I went over it, the test, and most of them failed. And the next time I gave them the test, and most of them failed. But yet I had to keep going because I wanted to pass this class. The writer to Hebrews said, we're going to press on because you need to know this stuff. This is stuff you need to know. And we don't need to keep going over the same simple stuff again. You need to go on. And what he mentions, he mentions six things here. And they're either a catechism or they're a a method of teaching before they join the church or were baptized in the church. There's six things he mentions. Now, I said this is highly structured, and I believe these six things are the ABCs. That there, there are six things, but there are three pairs of twos. The first is an A, and the second is a B, and the second and the third is the C. And so he says, what you need to know is A, faith and repentance. B, what you need to know about baptism and laying on of hands. C, you need to know about resurrection of life and the judgment to come. Those are your A, Bs, and your Cs. We all know how fundamental it is to repent. The Christian life begins with repentance, and it never ends. Martin Luther's first thesis he nailed to the door of the Wittenberg Church was, all of life is repentance. We're always repenting. But the first step into the kingdom is what John the Baptist said, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And when Jesus came out, he said the same thing, repent. And this is the only place it says it, but it says repent from things that lead to death. I go, what is he talking about? So I began to think about, you know, a passage where people repented of things that led to death and became new creatures in Christ. And I thought of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Listen to it carefully. Listen to the conclusion. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral are idolaters, are adulterers, are male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. He says those things will keep you out of eternal life unless you repent. And some of you have repented. That's what you were right there. But you're that no longer. That's what he's talking about. There has to be a repentance in our life. 
a turning from sin and turning to God. And the second thing he says is there not only has to be repentance, there has to be faith. You're saved by faith. We're justified by faith. We live by faith. He writes a whole chapter, chapter 11 on faith. The A in the ABCs is repentance and faith. The B is baptisms and laying on of hands. Baptisms and laying on of hands. Now, what you need to know is he uses a plural form for baptisms. He doesn't use a singular baptism, baptisma. He uses baptismas. Because what he wants to show is he's not talking about Christian baptism per se. But he says, at that time, according to the uh, to Jewish thought, and according to the Septuagint, when they washed things and purified them, those were called baptisms. When you they washed their hands, they cupped one hand and poured it over the other. They, they washed. That was a baptism. So you cannot go through the Bible and just say baptism always means immersion. That baptism most of the time means cleansing with water. And he's saying, here's what he's saying though. It's time we moved on from that. That I tell people all the time, I believe in covenant baptism and, and baptism replaces circumcision. It ought to be given to kids. But we're not going to argue over how much water on who. You know, we need to move on. If we're not going to agree on it, we need to move on. And he says the laying on of hands. The laying on of hands in the Bible is to communicate that they're going to receive the Holy Spirit, for one. The second thing is they lay on hands for missionaries going out to do mission work. They lay hands on elders and deacons. It was laying on of hands, and it was a big deal. And what he's saying, it was part of you know the elementary steps. Obviously, they had hands laid on them when they came into the church. And then he concludes the sea by saying there's a resurrection and a judgment. He says there's a resurrection of the dead. That this life isn't it. That these people were thinking about leaving because it was getting to be dangerous to be a Christian. And they said the best way to be safe and have a long and happy life is to leave. And Jesus is, I mean, Jesus through this passage is saying... But there's eternal life. That he who believes in me will never die. And if you believe in me, though you die, yet shall you live. You'll live with God in heaven, but you'll live again. When Jesus comes back, your body will be raised and your spirit will ascend and the body and the soul will be reunited and you'll live together forever on the new heaven and the new earth. And he said that ought to affect your faithfulness. And if it doesn't, he says, there is a judgment to come. That what he's doing is, quote, playing his trump card. If you don't believe me and you don't believe this things, then I want you to know that ultimately you're going to answer for what you believe and do. And the only hope you have is Jesus. And are you going to leave him? So how do you close a sermon like this? Here's how he closes it. 
He says, and so we'll do, God willing. He expects them to not be offended by the, the sermon. He expects them to, to take it to heart and begin to dig deep and to learn. May you do the same thing. And the second thing, he says, God willing. We have to have God's help. You know, it's not wrong today to say, hey, this is me. I, I've, I've gotten stagnant. I'm not reading the Bible. I'm not studying the Bible. I'm not, I'm not memorizing. I'm not meditating. And I'm stuck. And God, would you be willing to send me the Holy Spirit in a new measure that I might grow up and be able to teach other people about Jesus? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your gracious words of uh, exhortation here calling us to train ourselves by the power of the Holy Spirit in righteousness and right living. Thank you for the encouragement that we lay foundations and we move on, we build on them, and help us as your people to mature and that we might be able to minister to others in this community. And I pray in the name of Christ. Amen.